Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on February 8th, 2021. And on our last episode, having just seen three episodes of WandaVision, I said that I was unimpressed, you know, that with this limited series of uh, Marvel Suit, I felt that it was moving too slow, that the writing on these recreations of vintage sitcoms from the 50s, 60s, and 70s were, were flabby. I mean, a sitcom's supposed to be funny, and it, it, they weren't all that funny. And Aaron, I have to ask, do you know the writer's prayer? Oh, yes, yes. I've uttered it many, many times after writing something questionable. Okay, well, for those of you who don't know, it's like, dear Lord, please always make my words sweet and tender, for I may be forced to eat them later. And I was wrong about WandaVision. These past two episodes have completely turned things around for me. In fact, at this point, I'm actually kind of sad that there's only four episodes left, because this finally, uh, this is a show I'm hooked on. What about you, Ernst? Yeah, I think we can play Siskel and Ebert right now, and I'll mm-hmm. say I'm not going to take back my apology. I think that episodes one and two could have been condensed into a single episode, and you really wouldn't have lost anything story-wise. It was mm-hmm. just that they really wanted to do a 50s thing, and then they really wanted to do a 60s thing, and it wasn't funny, but I don't think it was meant to be funny. I, mm-hmm. I never thought that even though they were doing a sitcom thing, that it was meant to be actually funny like I Love Lucy. I think the story is still going to be serious in the background, but it's a, a story trope that they're playing with. This is one of those things where if this were dropped as one entire batch of entertainment with all the episodes delivered on the same day, mm-hmm. if it were the Netflix model, as soon as the credit music started playing, it would say play ex- next episode now. And we'd all say yes. And we go to episode two and three and four until we were done. We'd plow through it and we would be done. And the difference is we've got an entire week to go, what the hell was that all about? And I get to talk to my friends. What did you think? And we get to theorize. And it's like when we were in school getting the regular comic books delivered to our house. And they would end with a cliffhanger. And it's like, oh, my God, can you believe so-and-so's the villain? And you had to wait 30 days before that story continued. So you had plenty of time to talk with all of your friends about what you think was going to happen next and speculate. And that's what we're getting back with this episode. So even though I think that you can condense episodes one and two, and I don't think that they're really telling a a real story yet five episodes in, Mm -hmm. I'm still enjoying it. I still Mm -hmm. like watching it every single Friday. Dead Vision scared the poo out of me. Jim, did that take you by surprise? Yeah, yeah. And again, we're going to be careful here, folks, because we don't want to give too many spoilers Aaron and I will be talking at length about the latest episodes of WandaVision on the second half of today's show. But to circle back to what you're saying, yeah, that that was genuinely shocking. And it only was like, you know, a three second moment that was Mm -hmm. like, boom, there, let it settle Mm -hmm. and it's gone. And and that was like price paid for the episode that made Mm -hmm. the episode worth it. All the waiting of waiting for a thing to happen. That was the thing that happened. And I think everybody, when I went on Twitter the next day, everyone had the same reaction. It was, oh, my God, did you see the thing with vision? Oh, my Mm -hmm. God. And so they only need like a moment or two to really capture the imagination of their audience for a week. And we'll talk later in the second half of what things captured our attention the most recently 
Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, there is a whole bunch of speculation that's going to come tumbling down the mountain like an avalanche. So get ready for that on the second half of the show. But now we're going to plow ahead with the news portion, and news portion of Marvelous Dizzy is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. If you're looking to book a trip or want a worry-free travel experience, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, this is Monday, February 8th, which means it is the day after the Super Bowl, and we are today, three months out, from Black Widow opening at theaters. Last year's Super Bowl, Black Widow ad buy. In fact, wasn't there also a Falcon and the Winter Soldier ad buy? I want to say yes. Yeah, but there really wasn't a whole lot to show. It would have been a a traditional tease in the Mm. 15-second area, I think. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe it was a full 30, but yeah, it was a tease. Okay, because this time around... We definitely got a Falcon and the Winter Soldier trailer. We also got a trailer for Rhea and the Last Dragon. And that was it. Uh, No ad for Black Widow, and certainly no ad for Shang-Chi and the the Legend of the Ten Rings or the Eternals. Chronologically speaking, I mean, that's the next event on the calendar. I don't think they want to place the hype in the wrong event, especially if it's further on down the line. I mean, why, why hype Black Widow right now when you've got the uh, Winter Soldier and, and the Falcon coming up? Talking with folks at Disney, and this tells you a lot about the media landscape right now, is that especially with the COVID variants that have begun bubbling out. Um, is that a new Dan Brown book, The COVID Variants? <laughs> I love Da Vinci Code. If it's Code. not, he lives here in New Hampshire, and <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll walk over to his house and suggest. Sweet. Just drop okay. off that nugget, tell him where to there mail the go. check. Here we go. There we go. <laughs> but I, the folks at Disney, it's just like, look, these are the two projects that, because Raya flat out is supposed to go into theaters, but is also going to be available on Disney Plus as premium content, and uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was just going to Disney Plus. It's like, look, these are safe bets. We know they're going to make their delivery dates. So that's what we felt comfortable with promoting. Now, speaking of, of streaming platforms and Disney Plus, did you see last Monday's announcement about? Ryan Coogler, the director and co-writer of 2018's Black Panther, just signed a five-year deal with Disney. But among the things that's covered under this deal is that Ryan is going to be developing a drama for Disney Plus that's going to be set in the kingdom of Wakanda. Yeah, and I've got a lot of hopes that I know will never be fulfilled on this. But I mean, I there's a, so much of the MCU that's yet to be explored. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would like to see the meteor of vibranium crash Mm. into Wakanda and the first people that discover it, you know, like a way back story. That's not connected really to anything. You're like a legend. Mm -hmm. There is so much in Wakanda that could be explored. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the more interesting ways to do it is not in the present time, but in the past, the evolution, because they've like, why did they hide away? It was after they got the vibranium, but then how did they hide away from the rest of the world? And Mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of stuff there that we really don't know. It's been alluded to, but Mm -hmm. hasn't really been the plumb the depths of yet. So I kind of want to go in that direction a little bit. It's interesting you, you bring that up because black Panther two, which by the way is still slated for a, a July 8th, 2022 theatrical release. Supposedly, the plan is that Black Panther 2 
is going to help set up this new limited series for Disney+. Plus. Kugler is supposedly going to introduce characters and story threads in that film that can then be featured in this Kingdom of Wakanda drama. So that all sounds present day, right? Like a sequel to Black Panther 2 almost? If you're going to introduce a character in Black Panther 2 mm-hmm. and then have them carry over, and you know how Feige likes everything connected, mm-hmm. it would make sense that they would go that route. Yeah, but now that it's it's something of a twofer, it's it's continuing the film series, but also setting up this new limited series for Disney Plus. Evidently, there are rewrites underway. I mean, mind you, we're still looking at a July two thousand twenty one production start. Going to shoot for at least five months, possibly six. Most of the work is going to be done at Trilith Studios, which formerly was known as Pinewood's uh, Atlanta Studios. And I know we've mentioned the name previously on the show. It turns out Pinewood Group, which runs Pinewood Studios in the UK, they sold off their stakes in the Atlanta studio back in August of 2019. So, And the folks who now run the 700-acre studio complex decided to rebrand in October of last year, Aaron, and Trilith Studios gets its name from the central three-stone structure at Stonehenge. Supposedly, they picked this three-pillar structure because this company has three pillars. They have storytelling, purpose-built places, and emerging technology. Huh. Yeah. Let me go grab my shoehorn real quick to make that fit. I'll be right back. I think it's next to my surprise face at the top of the closet. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The, the interesting thing is if you actually poke at Trilith Studios, it turns out they're building a giant real estate complex next to the studio. They're in Fayetteville County. So that's the whole point of the purpose-built places. But They should have just made it the Triskelion. I mean, that would have been dope. <laughs> okay, I would have been so on board there with that. There we go. Get a few helicarriers in there. Hell yes. Uh, <laughs> okay. And while we're talking about Wakanda, I uh, want to take a, a second to remind you folks that this Friday, uh, February 12th, at Disney Plus, we get Marvel's Behind the Mask documentary. Got to see a little bit of this over the past week or so. And there's this, this great story that Joe Casita tells. Uh about the July 1966 debut of Black Panther in Marvel Comics. He makes his first appearance in Fantastic Four, uh, issue number 52. And what's really cool about the moment where T'Challa takes off his mask and is a black superhero is the fact that Reed Richards, Ben Grimm, and, and the rest of the team don't make a big deal of it. That's the thing that Joe thinks is is the coolest part of it, the fact that they are so matter-of-fact about this. It, you know, they say, well, of course there are black superheroes in the world. And when, when you think about what was going on in, in civil rights and all of the upheaval that was going on in the, the 1960s, the fact that Marvel walked this storyline out there in that way, just to show you how forward-thinking the folks at Marvel Comics were back in the day. But anyway, that starts this Friday, February 12th on Disney+. Plus. It was just the fact that you brought up Reed Richards mm-hmm. and it gave me a flash in my head about something I wanted to bring up and there's mm-hmm. no convenient place to drop this nugget. So I'm just going to drop it here. Okay. When we were talking about the commercials mm-hmm. for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. after that, there was a commercial for SpaceX mm-hmm. where they were going to launch four people into space. Oh, did you catch that commercial? <laughs> No, no, 
did done, but I kind of sense where this is going. But please, please. No, I I really think that this is either the most cleverly hidden gimmick Marvel has ever pulled off in the history of anything ever, or it's just the weirdest damn coincidence in the world. But in the Super Bowl ads, after the Falcon and the Winter Soldier ad, there was a thing for SpaceX, and they were talking about how you can go online, and they were going to send four people for civilians into space. Wow. <laughs> now, when they did this, they had the the number four mm-hmm. in a circle. And it looked like the Fantastic Four logo. And I was like, hey, is there a coincidence that this is airing directly after Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Is there a reason why you've got the four in a circle? Can we just say it's for the Fantastic Four? Or is SpaceX really going to launch four people into space? Holy I'm cow. confused right now because I think it's a gimmick, uh, a marketing gimmick. And yeah, I was, oh, I'm confused, Jim. No, no, that's, that, I, I'm sorry. You know, that, that's the first family of Marvel. That's how it started. I'm just going to keep my eye on the winners for this. And if it turns out that Reed Richards, Sue Storm, Johnny Storm, and Ben Grimm are the winners of this contest, we know what's up. Yeah. Holy cow. After the show, go online, look for it. Then when mm-hmm. they when you see the, the number four in the circle, mm-hmm. and then just look at a Fantastic Four logo that's and you'll go, huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, move, moving on with the show. Sorry to derail it. No, Listeners no, no, at home. No, that's it's a speculate all you want. Excellent observation and just wow. All right, got a weird ad buy. Okay, yeah. but again, we move from Super Bowl Sunday to uh, Monday, February eighth and did you see the news that broke today about Keanu Reeves? Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think he'd be great as Craven, but I don't want him to be cast as Craven. Okay. There are actors like Carl Urban mm-hmm. that I think would be fantastic as Craven. Mm-hmm. The guy that played uh, the comedian in The Watchmen, okay. um, I think would be a fantastic Craven. Mm-hmm. But then again, it's a Sony spunk thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And. That just means that they're not allowed entry into the MCU officially. It's just a side thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so I would pick a different actor personally, Mm -hmm. and I would also want to include Spider-Man. So because it's a Sony spunk, I've Mm -hmm. just kind of mentally tuned out of it as, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Sorry. That's so bitter. It is kind of problematic for a couple of issues. I mean, uh, for me, it's more a case of, They've offered this, supposedly offered this role to Keanu, and it's just like, he's one of the busiest guys in show business, because they announced August of last year that John Wick 4 and 5 were supposed to be shot back-to-back this year, and John Wick 4 already has a locked-in May 27, 2022 release date, so that means these films have to go before the camera this year. And then you have to factor in the Matrix 4, which is... Uh, the end of this year. It's like Christmas time. Yeah, that's exactly. December uh, 23rd, 2021. And it's another one of these Warner Brothers HBO Max things in that it's supposed to be. Do you think it theaters. could spawn a franchise? Hey, it's, <laughs> it's hard to say. You know, that's the funniest thing is that, you know, there's already talk about Matrix 4 is supposed to set up two more films, like the, you well, know, the first one. Nobody thinks about a single movie anymore, Jim. It's all about a trilogy or a franchise or building mm. their own blank mm. CU, just like the Marvel Cinematic. But by the way, I did look up how much all of the Marvel movies had made, mm-hmm. and it was like $22 billion plus. 
Mm-hmm. And it's the only film franchise to get, and it was like, you know, first it broke 9 billion and it was like the first franchise to go that far. Mm-hmm. And then it broke 10, 11, 12, all the way up to 22 billion. Cause they keep cranking out movies and they keep doing really, really well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, if you just look at the numbers, it's a, it's an absolute money machine mm-hmm. and everybody wants to make their own MCU. Now movies aren't just a standalone thing you can go and enjoy once. No, you got to know the characters' names and their backstories and follow them for the next several decades. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, very much so. And getting back to Keanu, I mean, again, and you get it. You want a name in that role, especially if you're doing a standalone film before you then fold him somehow into the, and I, I want to say it right now, it's the Sony Pictures universe of Marvel characters. No, it should be the Spider-Man universe <laughs> they, of like, Marvel characters because they don't have the rights to the Marvel characters. They only have the rights to the Spider-Man universe of Marvel characters. Hey, uh, yeah, folks, it's Sony. We need some clarification. But anyway, if he's tied up doing Wick 4 and 5 this year and needs to do publicity for Matrix this fall, the earliest we're getting him before a camera to do Craven is sometime in 2022, which means... It doesn't matter. I mean, there's so many things in the pipeline. You know what is happening right now? Mm-hmm. And I think this is rather dangerous. Sony is putting all of their spunk eggs into one spunk basket because Venom 2 has not come out yet. They don't know if that's a hit or a fail. Morbius hasn't come out yet. They don't know if that's going to work. They feel it's going to work. Mm-hmm. they're going to put Keanu Reeves in a movie and they're going to hope that's going to work. But what if, not because Venom 2 or or Morbius are bad movies, but because we don't have enough of the vaccine rolled out mm-hmm. where they don't make a bazillion dollars. What if they only make $20 million? And you know they had to spend you know more than that to make these movies. Mm-hmm. What if they only break even? Is this the smartest decision they can make right now is keep throwing all of their spider villains into Spider-Man-less films and pray to God they all work? It's interesting you bring this up because there was an interview just earlier today I was reading about, and remember, just this past summer, one of the very first films that you know came out solely on streaming was the uh, Peter Davidson King of Staten Island, and this is the first time ever I've I've seen any numbers as to how much money a film made being strictly streamed and. What they came back and said, it made a, a healthy forty million, right? And it's like, okay, so if you're you're a drama that's shot on location in Staten Island, you've got a small cast. It's like, okay, that could be profitable. Hey, Jim, if you were to tell me that a Pete Davidson led film mm-hmm. made forty million dollars, I would mm-hmm. call it a success no matter what, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because Pete Davidson, I like him, but he's mm-hmm. an acquired taste. Not yeah. everybody's in love with the guy. Mm-hmm. And he's not a leading man. He's a, he's an SNL guy. Mm-hmm. So to have mm-hmm. a movie based on, which essentially I believe was a, almost an autobiography of his it life. Was. It was, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So to have a a movie based on on his life and, you know, some people love him, some people not so much. Mm-hmm. And for that to make $40 million without a theater to back mm-hmm. it up, yep. I call that a win. But to, to take that info, to, to have a sense of, okay, so if you go streaming, this is your potential. And then... Yeah, but now the, whole, the flip side of that, though, is Christopher Nolan made a movie, mm-hmm. and it cost significantly more yeah. than, than $40 million, and it made significantly less than what it needed to. So yeah. Warner Brothers is sitting on those numbers very, very tightly. Yeah, but, the, yeah. but the, the nut of the problem here is that Venom and Morbius were made pre-COVID. 
they were made with budgets for a theater release, an mm-hmm. uh, uninterrupted, unhindered, perfectly mm-hmm. normal theater release. And they're not going to get that. Mm-hmm. And so now they're going to continue making movies for that perfectly normal, uninterrupted theater release. They're, they're not thinking small budget. Mm-hmm. This is Sony with, you know, what do they have? They don't have that many IPs to tout around. And they got to be very careful with them. No, no, I agree. I agree. So much of when you talk with folks out west these days, uh, when you can get them in the office, because nobody's in the office, they're all working from home. It's trying to get a sense of when the business goes back to normal. And then, you know, the other question is, what is normal after this? Yeah, it's like Keanu Reeves doing press junkets. He's going to be doing that over a laptop. He's not going to have to travel across the world for any of that. So, I mean, really, his schedule can be condensed considerably simply because of of these new factors of everyone's working from home, including stars, by Mm. way of uh, I'm I'm just going to sit here at my breakfast table eating Cheerios while I chat to Drew Taylor during my interview. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. All right. All right. Well, anyway, moving on to the news here, uh, we talked. Previously about how both you and I are, are looking forward to Blade and um, that reboot is a little bit further down the production pipeline. Marvel just hired Stacey Osei Kufer, a New York based playwright. She's going to be handling the screenplay. You and I talked about the uh, HBO's reboot of Watchmen uh, last year and how much we enjoyed that. Well, it turns out that Stacey was not only the story editor on that show, but she also wrote several episodes. And let's remember, that thing took home 11 Emmys, including Outstanding Limited Series. So that really bodes well for the Blade reboot. I do remember enjoying it very, very much. And and it was the episode before the last where I said, I have no idea how they're going to wrap this up. There absolutely has to be a season two. And then they wrapped it up in like a 30-minute episode. I went, ah, they've got so much imagination. (laughs) I just could not conceive of... How they could do it. But no, I thought that was a really unexpectedly well done show. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm very, very excited to have that creative power Mm -hmm. because it all starts with the pen. It does. It does. But that said, you you need a director and they have yet. I mean, again, we've got a star and now we have a writer, but we need a director. And, And speaking of directors, every time James Gunn tweets, I I have more respect for the guy he was talking about back on January 26th, Thor Love and Thunder uh, has finally begun shooting at uh, Fox Studios Australia in Sydney. And somebody reached out to James via Twitter and was like, oh, wait a minute. The Guardians of the Galaxy characters are in Thor Love and Thunder. And yet this is supposedly got written after, you know, that supposedly the uh, the Guardians Volume 3 script has been written for, what, three years, four years at this point? James Gunn wrote it when he was a small child. There we go. There we go. So it's a, it was a question effective. well, how do you make sure that, you know, I mean, because this movie's coming out before your movie, and for that matter, for before the Christmas special, James, in response to the tweet, started out by saying that the, the script that Taika had written for Thor and Love and Thunder is amazing. And the Taika and I talked before he started writing the screenplay for Love and Thunder about where the Guardians of the Galaxy's characters were and where they were going to be going. And then Taika read my script for Volume 3, and then I read his script for Love and Thunder and shared my thoughts. And so these guys are very much on the same page with these characters, and both of these guys are answering to Kevin Feige, who is the ubermeister of, of what happens with all Marvel characters. He's the Oracle. 
There we go. There we go. I did hear a rumor that Taika Waititi was bringing in the magic, uh, was it Rams of Thor in Love and Thunder, Tooth Nasher and Tooth Grinder? Oh, Have you heard about that? I did see, you know, that again, it was one of those things where I was looking at a, a Google search and Thor goats, and it's like, I don't know if I want to look at that. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> So uh, t- Tooth Nasher and Tooth Grinder are able to, uh, they pull a chariot mm-hmm. and it's for when Thor, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he, he normally just whips around his hammer and, and then throws it in the air and it lifts him into the sky. But what if you have a traveling companion and uh, you don't want to travel by hammer? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you uh, call on the, the goats because we don't have the Bifrost anymore, right? Because Heimdall's gone. That's right. And so apparently the goats are supposed to come with their chariot to whisk Thor <laughs> and his companion, which may very well be Jane on a uh, uh, interstellar goat travel. <laughs> I, 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 oh, it's, I so want Rocket to, to uh, witness the arrival of this, just to hear what is said. Yeah, but this uh, is why we love Taika Waititi being brought in, because he loves to dive headlong into the crazy. And it, it's perfect. It's just fun. It's just fun. Wasn't there at one point rumors that Throg was also going to show up in this thing? Yes, there are still rumors. And I even read a rumor about casting and then thoroughly immediately forgot it. Okay. Because again, you know, Disney owns the Muppets and, you know, the, the perfectly good way to bring. Hi ho, I am Kermit the Throg. Oh, there we go. There we go. <laughs> All right, in other news, we're headed into award season. So uh, Tom Holland was out doing press for Cherry, which uh, Apple Plus is hoping will do very well this award season. And, of course, as he's doing press for this movie, he gets asked about the movie he's shooting, uh, which is Spider-Man 3, which uh, we mentioned uh, it's being shot at Trilit Studios. Triskelion. <laughs> there we go. In talking uh, with the folks at Variety on their award circuit podcast, Holland was asked, can you tell us anything about the upcoming Spider-Man movie you're filming? And he said, what I can tell you is the most ambitious standalone superhero movie ever made. You sit down, read the script, and see what they're trying to do, and they're succeeding. I've never been a standalone film quite like this, and and I'm just a lucky little who who happens to play Spider-Man in a minute. They still had a lot of shooting to do. We started before Christmas and shot for like seven weeks. We stopped for Christmas break and we're starting again, but I'm excited for everyone to see it, let alone be a part of it. Okay. Now, well, first off, I love Tom Holland, but he's like, what, 20? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how many movies has this kid seen? I mean, he's 20. I, mm-hmm. I know he's seen a movie because he's an actor and he's mm-hmm. been in movies, so he's got acting knowledge, but he's 20. He ain't mm-hmm. seen that many movies. Second of all, He's the lead star in a movie. I would love to see him talk about mm-hmm. how, no, nah, it's a poor script, poor mm-hmm. cast, the mm-hmm. uh, effects suck, and everybody's dirt. Like, that's going to happen. Of course, he's going to say, guys, unicorns are going to come and nuzzle you, and you're going to be able to feed them by hand the entire time you watch this movie. Everyone gets to take a home their own free unicorn after watching the end credit scene. If you don't stay for the end credit scene, you don't get a freaking unicorn, right? That's that's what he's going to say. And uh, I'm not surprised by that. And the sad thing is, given what's going on in the American film industry and, and the you know, theatrical release arm, 
I would honestly be surprised at this point if that somebody isn't, you know, hey, how are the unicorns coming along? We, Guys, <laughs> where's the ponies and the glue? I've got an idea. There we go. There we go. <laughs> uh, but, oh, okay, now, important to remember that this is the Spider-Man movie that we get in the wake of WandaVision. And we've already been told with the Sony picture release between Jamie Foxx's Electro and Alfred Molina's Doc Ock and likewise Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange, this is the one that really does lean heavily into the multiverse. But the question then becomes how much direct communication, overall coordination is there between Spider-Man 3 and, and WandaVision? And Jake Schaefer, the uh, head writer on WandaVision, answered that question just last week. And he said, there's communication and it's all overseen by Marvel, by Kevin and the other producers there. But I can't talk details, but... Every creative in the show knows what they need to know in order to make sure that we all connect in a way that works. Which brings me to Aaron and I talking about the two most recent episodes of WandaVision. And we'll be back in just a second. Before we get started with WandaVision, I wanted to offer a quick thank you to everyone on Twitter who's been helping out with Aaron and Mize, let's identify all the comic book characters displayed or depicted our Marvel Super Hero Island project. We got a tremendous response from the images that we put up online. And people were so nice to me when I was like, well, who's this guy? And it's like, you mean Magneto? Yeah, there <laughs> you know? were a few times where I was like, oh, Jim's just uh, letting you guys play in a little game. You know, uh, I don't want to spoil the fun by, you know, naming it himself. On Marvel Superhero Island, there's one display of a fascinating outdoor uh, piece of art where you literally get Magneto in a battle with Professor X. And he actually, you, you get three different, you know, Magnetos. You get him being hit by the blast, him falling through the air with his helmet coming off and then him on the ground. And, and that was the thing. I'm looking at a villain who has the Magneto helmet, but... I can't see his face. And it's like Clark Kent's there for a second, and then he takes and off his glasses, and Superman shows up, and you're like, whoa, guys, where did Clark Kent go? How did Superman get here so quick? Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. I, I'm beginning to think this is the part where, like. Wait, was he still wearing a red cape and purple <laughs> undergarments and all that? Like, the, the rest right of the garb was still out. there. <laughs> but again, I want to point out that people were very kind to me and didn't. They were. Uh, they, you know. Uh, by the way, speaking of, of people who were kind, I, I especially want to thank Jeremy Stein at Main Street Magic. It turns out that those folks at their podcast, they've been working on a similar sort of project, trying to get a definitive list of, of characters together from that master licensing agreement that MCA Inc. signed with Marvel Entertainment back in March of 94. And Jeremy was nice enough to share the list that they'd pulled together along with it. So between the stuff we've got, Aaron, now and mm -hmm. what Jeremy shared, I feel fairly confident that we're going to be able to put together a, a pretty definitive list. Now, mind you, cool. what's interesting is it's, again, it's obviously not all 5,000 characters, but clearly Universal went well north of 150 at this point. So it's, if it's oh. not 200, it's it's damn near. But it's also kind of a fascinating look back at the 90s and where Marvel was at that point, because it's a lot of X-Men. It's, of course, you know, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four. 
the Excalibur squad there yeah, from the, the yeah. British group. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, know. Just we'll, we'll do a deeper dive on that in, on another show, but okay. Spoilers coming up folks, but let's talk WandaVision. And for me, Aaron, this finally actually became a Marvel Studios production in the way I know them with episode four. Agreed. Yeah. Monica comes on the scene. I mean, we literally watch her D-dust or whatever when the, the, after Tony's snap. D-blipped. D-blipped. There we go. And the economy of that opening where it's, it's in a hospital and you get to see all of the chaos. And But even before the credits roll, I mean, you... You've got the, the doctor there telling her that her mom, who was dealing with cancer and being treated for it, and the last thing Monica knew was that you know her mom had a, had a successful procedure and was recovering, and the doctor was like, no, honey, you've been gone for five years. Your mom died. And then from there, Monica you know goes down to the Sentient Weapons Operations Response Division, which, by the way, looks like it's in Florida, probably you know a street over from Cape Canaveral. But, you know, there Monica gets to meet acting director Tyler Haywood. And we quickly learn that because she's been blipped, she's grounded from flying. And as sort of a, a busy work assignment, she's asked to accompany a drone that sort is lending to an investigation that's happening up in New Jersey where they're trying to track down a missing person. And we don't find out who that missing person is till uh, episode five. Now, beyond that, mm-hmm. do you think Monica has already gotten her powers simply because of the fact of the x-rays were all coming back blank because they were glowing with radiation? Ooh. And um. her power is an energy power? Hmm. You know, after she gets tossed out of Westville mm-hmm. or whatever. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do. They try and do an X-ray, and they say something like, "Oh, there must be a problem with the machines because these mm-hmm. are coming back blank." And then they hold up an X-ray, and it's all, I believe, white in color. Mm-hmm. They gloss right over it, and I think that I may have been the intro of her. Catch that, but that's an excellent observation. Okay, uh, so we'll keep an eye out for that in the future. Little okay. hints that she may have already gotten her powers by being ejected out of Wanda's hex. Double back to. Episode four, we, we start with uh, Monica meeting Jimmy Wu yep. uh, from uh, Randall Park from Ant-Man of the Wasp. And okay, always, well, before always... we get anywhere with Jimmy Wu, because he got introduced, I'm sorry to interrupt, Jim. Did you catch the magic? I did. I did. I, you know, well, that's the thing. I really so enjoy Randall in this. Yes. Particularly when they paired him with Darcy. The little Wu's conversation just killed me. But no, he does sincere and thick but at the same time the i I love the continuity because wasn't it in ant-man and the wasp where he was studying magic where you know yeah it was it was while uh he was in in, uh house arrest that Mm -hmm. he was learning hand magic or close-up magic to entertain his daughter (sighs) and so yeah he he asked what are you doing while you're here and he goes i'm studying close-up magic and then he started doing the card tricks and then he gave him a website to check out and then later in the movie Someone walks in on him, uh, on Jimmy in his office, yep. and he's trying to do a card, making a card appear by palming it. 
Mm-hmm. And th- when he meets someone uh, walking down the road there, uh, was it Darcy that he meets? It, well, no, there? no, it's it's Monica. It, it's oh, yeah, he, he meets yeah Monica for the first time, but he actually is able to appear his business card with that hand magic flourish that he was learning from Ant-Man and the Wasp. And that just brought me so much darn joy. It's those little <laughs> moments where I go, okay, no. the episode is worth it just for that. Well, and speaking of which, how about how they introduced Darcy, where they're all in the van traveling to the site of the anomaly, and she's the one, you know, it's like, oh, what do you do? It's like, well, we're not supposed to talk to one another. It's like, well, what do you do? And it's right. like, and she's the one who immediately puts together, it's like, wow, we're a full clown car. Right, and, yeah. And more to the point, clearly S.H.I.E.L.D. has no idea what they're dealing with. But yeah, I mean, what's also fun about the Darcy's character, she's the one who, in looking at the radiation that's off the chart, sees the carrier wave for the broadcast buried in there. And so she's the one who chases down the old-fashioned television. What's great about her and Jimmy is they're having these wonderful conversations that throw out the exposition in an entertaining way. And it's Darcy who notices somebody's editing the show. That's the interesting thing about episode four is that we're getting to see stuff we've already seen before but from a different perspective. And we get to see that moment with Geraldine, you know, talking with Wanda about Pietro. And we we actually get to see Wanda's response at that point. And I think that really does tie in well with what you mentioned about the X-ray and her possibly having her powers. Because think about it. What they show us is Wanda thrown through the wall of a house and a fence and a, you know, I mean something that would mess up any real normal Person, human yeah. Thing. yeah. Yeah. No, that's an excellent observation. And then that beat at the end where she's, you know, flattering her back in the field in the 60s garbs and, you know, everyone, uh, you know, from the, the, the site is running down to her and, you know, Monica's is like, it's all Wanda. Speaking of it being all Wanda, in the mm-hmm. most recent commercial mm-hmm. for the paper towels... Did you happen to catch what that reference was all about? Oh, yeah. yeah. So for our listeners at home playing the what the heck was that all about game, the paper towels are called Lagos. Mm-hmm. And what happened in Lagos, if you happen mm-hmm. to go back to the beginning of, I believe it was Civil War where this started, because that's the beginning of the Sokovia Accords, where Wanda mm-hmm. ends up uh, trapping crossbones in a force field to prevent him from blowing up next to Caps. She essentially saves Cap's life, throws him up in the air, and he ends up exploding and then destroys half of a building that kills a whole bunch of people, and that creates the Sokovia Accords. But in the Lagos, where you... It mops up big messes, and it, it helps clean up accidents you didn't mean yeah. to make. Lagos paper towels. And I was like, damn, boys, that hurts. Those commercials are psychologically cruel, and I find that to be the most joyous thing. As a, as a person who writes ads for a living, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, do I enjoy those way too much. The commercials are great, but that one really kind of hurt, because it was like, yeah. you know. Yeah. And in fact, that's, the, the, that's what's interesting for me, is that the show is now pivoting into the pain that Wanda has experienced. She lost her parents. In fact, they, you know, there's that great story that they tell in age of Ultron about, you know, the, the bomb that killed their parents, but that didn't go off, but had the Stark logo on it. Mm-hmm. And same, uh, you know, and in age of Ultron, we saw her, she loses her brother. And in episode five, the crucial moment is when Hayward is giving the brief sort of bringing everybody up to speed and, 
and shows the footage of Wanda breaking into the facility where, you know, they show, you know, shield and sword tech folks basically dissecting vision, you know, cause they're sort of looking to reverse engineer, you know, some of the technology from the synthoid. That was supposed to be an end button for Endgame. Was it really? Yeah, they were. They had made all of that footage for uh, a nerf after credit scene, and then Kevin had decided because it was going to tease that Wandavision was coming, mm-hmm. and Kevin had decided that it was pretty freaking dark for the oh, ending yeah. that that we had, and mm-hmm. he wanted it to. And and plus, when you you know, tell a complete story and you say the end, mm-hmm. it really sucks when you keep going. Oh, and one more thing. Cause mm-hmm. we wanted the infinity war to have a resolution mm-hmm. and it didn't need a button. It mm-hmm. just needed an end. Mm-hmm. And even if, you know, Spider-Man far from home is a coda that goes mm-hmm. on the end of the end, fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you just lop it off at a infinity or a uh, end game, then it it's truly is a proper ending and and you don't need anything after it. So yeah, he didn't he took it off and then mm-hmm. they used that footage to create the scenes that you see on the monitor where she comes in to reclaim vision. And that was awesome. I really enjoyed that quite a bit to to see that. I don't know, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, you know, but again, for me I I looked at that and like wondered, wow, is this what finally set her or sent her over the edge? At the, at the same time, I, I think there was so much clever writing. You know, for example, the scene where Monica, Darcy, and Jimmy uh, went into the room where her clothes were stored and she whips out the pistol and shoots at her 1960s clothes. And right. it's like, they're Kelvar. You know, that that I was wearing a Kelvar vest. And, you know, when I went through the, the wall of the anomaly, it, it metastasized that material into that. Which, again, then you know, allowed Monica to come up with the idea, well, if something that's appropriate can get in. So the notion of sending the eighties era drone into that space, but, but at the same time, not knowing that acting, you know, a, a director, Haywood would arm the drone or an attempt to shoot Wanda. Did you happen to catch that it had a Stark logo on the drone when Wanda tossed it back at him? I did not. Now I gotta go back. Yeah. Okay, it's, it's faint and it's there for a brief second. <sighs> it's not the biggest deal in the world, but of course, any sort of technology that's a weapon is mm-hmm. gonna have a Stark logo on it. That's just until we get aim back into the mix of things or something like that. But for now, yeah, it's all Stark. Okay, so so let's talk about. I think one of the biggest moments of this series so far, where they you know they they incoming somebody's coming and it just. And we have Wanda walk out through the wall of the anomaly, dragging the drone. Mm-hmm. And she warns everybody off. And, and in fact, what did you think of that moment where she just sort of makes that gesture and everybody who's got their laser-sighted rifles pointed at her suddenly turn and point them at acting director Hayward? It was just like what Magdito has done so many times in the X-Men <sighs> movies. It was like yes. father, like daughter. So. Yes. Yeah, yep. we've we've seen that maneuver, and it, it was great to mm-hmm. to have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's other things that, like Agnes, when mm-hmm. you get to the twins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the comics, and I really hate making these direct comparisons because I know there's a difference, mm-hmm. but it's something I'm looking for right now. Okay. Is that Agnes tells Wanda in the comics during these moments that the twins are only there when Wanda's thinking about them. 
And Wanda ends up realizing at that moment that it's all an illusion and things start going kind of cockeyed from there. Mm-hmm. And we've seen Agnes miss a beat and go, oh, should I take that line from the top? Mm-hmm. So she's not affected like everybody else is. Mm-hmm. She's different from the mind-controlled folks mm-hmm. that are already in that town. Mm-hmm. So I wonder a little bit more about what her deal is and if she ends up playing the mentor figure like she did for mm-hmm. Wanda in the comic books. Mm-hmm. That may lead that she's part of the manipulation that's going on because she's just too privy to what, you know, the whole should I take it from the top thing? You don't say that randomly. You have to kind of be privy to some information to be able to know to say that. The breadcrumbing now for the mystery is getting fascinating. Yeah. That was the thing that that was when we we watched Vision like you saw that, right? You heard that, you know, that was different. And to then go to the scene where Vision is at the office and they're they're just getting the, the first computers of the, the 1970s and 80s and he accidentally or, or intentionally deconnects his coworker from the illusion and that moment was just heartbreaking. Sure, um, absolutely, yeah. No, I mean... It takes all of that what used to be funny and schmarmy and cutesy, and then it mm-hmm. puts this Twilight Zone horror stamp on it right at the end. And you go, holy crap, I never thought about the repercussions of mm. what these people are going through. And now that I know, mm-hmm. oh my God, it's a whole town going through this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that gets to be horrifying. Yeah. So let's talk about the setup for the, the end of the show, that, that we have Billy and Tommy the twins as their mom about her family. And she didn't lie, but she fudged. She, she said the kids that Pietro isn't here, not because he's gone or dead, but that he's far away and that she misses him. And so right after Vision and, and Wanda are, are, you know, having a, not a knockdown fight, but a really strong disagreement. Yeah, it's, it's that we're in a sitcom. It's mm-hmm. out of place, but everything's cutesy and the music's bright. And then the repercussions are crazy evil. I, I just, we have to pause here for a second because the yeah. theme song for episode five was so on the nose. I mean, again, Bobby and Christian Anderson Lopez, this was the show that really sort of drew a lot from Family Ties. You wander the world with a vision of what life could be. Just wait and see Forces may try to pull us apart But nothing can faze me if you're in my heart Crossing our fingers, singing a song We're making it up as we go along And the fact, I mean, the theme song was right Odd than no, you know, just beautiful. There's also in that opening a little shot homage to uh, Full House, which obviously starred Mary Kate and Ashley. The yeah, the the picnic, of... the picnic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that that again, they, they're working a lot of Venn diagrams here. So, but they but did did a beautiful uh, homage to you know '80s sitcom music. We got love, baby. We got one. But anyway, okay, so end of so show. The climax, here we go. Who's at the door? Yes, and so 
what did you make of this? That again, you know, here's Pedro, only not Aaron Taylor Johnson, who played Pedro in, in Captain America Winter Soldier and a you know Avengers Age of Ultron, but instead Evan Peters, uh, who played this character in the X-Men first class, you know, era of the Fox X-Men movies. I had unfortunately seen some spoilers that, oh. well, not spoilers. I, I know Twitter first thing at like 3.45 mm-hmm. in the morning just starts mm-hmm. spilling their guts about everything that happened in WandaVision. So you can't okay. read social media on Friday at all. Mm-hmm. But I had seen well before that some leaked photography of uh, Evan Peters mm-hmm. on set. And I was like, oh, well, damn. <laughs> so when they were talking about his her brother, and then there's a knock at the door, and they're playing up the mystery of who could it be, I instantly went, well, of course, this is where Evan walks in the door. So when it was revealed, I, I didn't have the surprise that, unfortunately, the entire rest of the world did, because as soon as I went to Twitter later that morning, everyone's like, oh, my God, my mind has exploded and is all mm-hmm. over the walls because mm-hmm. of this. Jim, what do you think? What happened when you saw that happen? We have seen Kevin Feige do this before of sorts. I mean, we got to see J.K. Simmons, J. Jonah Jameson at the end of you know, Spider-Man Far From Home. Yeah. Uh, likewise, we had William Hurt come back as you know Denver Thunderbolt Ross in, in Civil War, and he's also going to be showing up again in Black Widow. But this, for me was kind of the pottery barn moment. I mean, in fact, if this isn't sort of the step back to where the multiverse, you know, especially for the Doctor Strange and the multiverse of badness, if this isn't the moment that the multiverse kicks off, I I will honestly be surprised because it's like, I think, again, it traces back to her lying to the twins or fudging the facts to the twins. You were talking about the fact that Wanda wouldn't have brought back the wrong Pietro. She knows her brother. She loved her brother. But somebody who, if somebody else is in charge of what's going on inside of the anomaly, that someone else is driving the bus here and, you know, oh, she wants Pietro and reaches out into the multiverse and accidentally snags the wrong one. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. It was like, I need some paprika, and you reach on the shelf and you grab the wrong spice. It's like the right family of spice, but the wrong mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of think that Wanda, she was able to bring back Vision from the dead. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, you know, why why wouldn't she be able to do the same for her brother if that's mm-hmm. something that she truly wanted? Mm-hmm. And there's also, you know, every episode, the first couple of episodes, we, ha- we heard Jimmy Woo going, Wanda. Can you hear me? Who's doing this to you, Wanda? Yeah. I think that's a a red herring to make you think, yeah, Wanda's in control of everything. And when she comes out of the the hex and throws the drone back at them, Mm -hmm. that kind of confirms, yeah, Wanda's in control of everything that's happening. Mm -hmm. But then why is it that when she walks back in, the barrier goes from blue to red? Ooh. That should, I mean, that shouldn't change. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if she were in control the whole time, it would have been red the whole time. Also, mm-hmm. here's the other thing. If they're actually leading to Wanda getting mm-hmm. her, her Scarlet Witch name, mm-hmm. uh, Darcy's been throwing around, they're in a hex because it's a hexagram. Mm-hmm. But the witch is, they she casts a hex mm-hmm. on people. 
So I think this is where the hex terminology comes in and someone's going to end up going, what, you mean like a witch? The red hex is the red hex like a, a scarlet witch. And that's almost exactly how that line's going to happen. They're going to go, okay. yeah, like a scarlet witch. Okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, there's parts of me that believe that if Agnes is there and can say, oh, let me take that from the top. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's the only player in the game. She's like an actor and there's a director somewhere that we're not seeing at the moment. Because remember, the footage is being edited and we don't know that Wanda's doing the editing right now. She doesn't seem to remember a lot of things. And Vision Mm -hmm. doesn't even know anything that happened before he got to town. How how sick is that? I mean, Jim, we are kind of getting our our Marvel zombies moment because apparently Vision does look like a, you know, color drained corpse walking about and only Wanda's seeing the happy version. So, eek, eek, ooh. But again, we got four more episodes, folks, and it's going to be fascinating to see where this plays out. Before we end up, because we got to have a little bit of a a prediction, and I was reading about the Doctor Strange 2 movie, and it's only the the summation of it, and it's two sentences, but it ended up bringing up a weird question. So the summation for Doctor Strange 2, Hmm. Multiverse of Madness, is after the events of Avengers Endgame, and mm-hmm. WandaVision, Dr. Stephen Strange's continuing research on the Time Stone is hindered by a friend-turned-enemy, mm-hmm. resulting in Strange unleashing unspeakable evil. So there's two questions I've got out of that. The first is being friend-turned-enemy. Everybody's thinking that's Wanda. And rightly so, it looks exactly like that it should be Wanda at this point. But uh, just to, to interject here... If when you use a friend turned enemy, did Doctor Strange and and Wanda really have any screen time together? Not that I'm aware of. No. Yeah. So it's a that's a a specific turn of phrase that I think you're right. I I don't think that plays for for Wanda. So and at the end of Doctor Strange, Mordo is ready to yeah. go be the bad guy for the sequel, mm-hmm. and that's what we were all prepped for. And obviously, mm-hmm. a lot of time has happened between movie one and movie two. So and mm-hmm plot lines can change, but I still think that Mordo should be rightfully in Doctor Strange 2 and not completely abandoned altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, and I, I believe that one is going to be in Doctor Strange 2. I'm not doubting that. I just don't know if she's really the big bad. I, and I really want her to be a true villain. I, I like her as a villain. And I want her to be, you know, mentally scarred and damaged because as I was listening to the fine tuning podcast and you're talking about, I can't remember the director, but their, their line was people don't go to bed trying to be a villain about how can I destroy the world? They usually have, you know, good Mm -hmm. intentions. Mm -hmm. And so the only way to make Wanda a really good villain is to make her emotionally damaged in a Mm -hmm. truly horrific, horrific way. And wow. let her run amok in the MCU, and I would be perfectly fine with that. I have to admit, after having seen that footage, which again I had, I'd never heard that story about the end of of Endgame. The other thing about the the quote was it was resulting in Strange unleashing unspeakable evil, and that kind of indicates that Strange is responsible for the mayhem that may be coming up in the multiverse of madness because of Wanda's actions that could trigger you know Strange to do something. But uh, yeah, it's the the more that we look at what they're telling us about Doctor Strange 2 and the more that we're seeing about WandaVision, it looks like they want us to go, Wanda's the bad guy, guys, get ready for that, just so mm-hmm. they can have a rug to pull out from underneath us. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. But I, I guess we should 
share the one last rumor before, as we head out the door here. We had Evan Peters rather than Aaron Taylor Johnson as Quicksilver. But do you want to share the story that's making the round as of this morning about what the role that Chris Evans may be playing in, in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness? It's a delicious, juicy one. But careful, it's it's hot. He would be coming back as the Human Torch, ladies and gentlemen. <sighs> Which would be awesome to see it, because everyone expects him to come back as Cap. They're going to bring him back as Cap. Of course they are. And then he comes on screen, he's got a big old four on his chest, and you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 what? <laughs> and then you have to remember, oh my god, he was the Human Torch. <sighs> and how crazy would it be that they start, like, role-swapping specific actors to play different characters? Like, what if... Uh, they had Benedict Cumberbatch playing Tony Stark in one universe and uh, Robert Downey Jr. playing Doctor Strange in that same universe and just brought him in for like 30 seconds of witty banter and then kicked him back to wherever they came from. There's so much that we can do. And right now, when it comes to Spider-Man 3, I've, I've thrown my hands up in the air and go, do whatever you guys want. The yeah. door is wide open. Anything is possible at this point. I still don't think Tobey Maguire's in it because it's just they're so late in filming and they mm -hmm. said, you know, they were bad talking to him about, well, he wanted too much money and he was, he was being a punk or whatever the quote was. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's a little bit, I think that ship has sailed, but they've got a hundred other ways to bring in other actors that did wonderful jobs in previous Spider-Man things and play mm -hmm. with us in, in, in those ways. And uh, by golly, if they were to get Keanu Reeves in there to <laughs> to play Craven for a real Spider-Man movie, I would be okay with that. Mm -hmm. It just if it's a solo movie, it's like ah, what's the point? Clearly, there will be lots to talk about on our next episode of Marvelous Disney. But till then, uh, we have a bunch of other podcasts here. We got Disney Dish with Lentesta. We of course have fine tuning that I do with through Taylor. Uh, I'm going to be recording a new Universal Joint uh, with Dustin Fuse tomorrow. And I am working on a brand new Looking at Lucasfilm, which I hope to get out the door in a couple of days. But if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review Marvelous Disney, if you head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be very helpful. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media. And over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. And that'll do it for our night tonight. But thanks for listening.